Adventures. I'm James Schoen. And I'm James Certin. Conversation, expertise and advice on the world and well-being of our teenagers. Hello and welcome to Talking Teenagers. We are very lucky today to be speaking to Susie Flory. A good place to start might be just to ask you a little bit about who you are and your story. So my name is Susie. I am 23 years old and I am, I currently live in London and I work full time in marketing and left university a year ago. But what I'm really here to do is share my story around anorexia, which is, I think, very much a taboo topic, much less so now, but it definitely was when I was really ill. So Hopefully, telling you my story will offer you a bit of insight. So when I was aged 16, 17, I started to feel a bit funny around food. I think I'm very much a control freak and I like things to be a certain way, but I always loved food. I never had a poor relationship with it or anything. And I think I I had really bad anxiety, social anxiety. I was at a boarding school and... I was really grateful to be made head girl, but I remember I had a boyfriend at the time and a couple of friends would sort of say that I was hanging out way too much with my boyfriend and not paying enough time to my friends, enough attention to my friends, and being the biggest people pleaser you will ever come across. That really, really upset me. (laughs) And I thought, oh God, all my friends hate me. I'm not making the effort and I have to balance my lovely boyfriend and my friends and what's about to come. And I noticed that I started to develop more habits around being a bit more controlled. And I'd also had a couple of experiences when I was 15. There was this horrible game, which I really hope still doesn't happen in schools, but it was called Tell Her Tuesday. And the the game went, if a boy said something to another one of his friends and his friend said, oh, you have to go and tell her, they did. I remember being approached age 15 at quite a kind of vulnerable stage and being told that I looked like a whale which sounds so ridiculous, but I think those comments really, really stick with you. And then I think when you're feeling at a point later on in your life, when you're feeling unsure of yourself, all those negative things start to come back and they can slightly sort of propel you in different directions. So I had a couple of friends in my year who had developed a a weird relationship around food. I think these things kind of offset each other. And suddenly I, I did, I start to question a bit more what I was eating. And I think that subconsciously, I, it was it was more about, I think I knew that it was going to make me thin. And I thought, because I didn't have control over anything else in my life, I thought, actually, you know what, if I gain control over this, then I'll probably be happy and being thin will make me happy. So I started to kind of develop slightly more controlled habits and I lost quite a lot of weight. But I remember being sort of pulled into the matron's office at school and they weighed me and, you know, they said, you've lost all this weight, I suddenly felt like I was being punished for something which I couldn't help. So going into my last year, I was slightly aware of it, but of course, completely reluctant to ever admit it because I'd been made head girl and I had to be the highest achiever ever. And there was no way that I was going to be associated with anorexia. And I think that was a problem is that it was, it had this sort of massive taboo thing around it. And, you know, people would kind of be like, oh God, she has anorexia, that kind of thing. And actually, just this is like the most important thing I'll ever say, is that it's a really bog standard thing, which can happen to a lot of people, like anxiety can, depression, I don't know, you name it, like mental health is just all around us. And I remember feeling really judged and punished for something which I could simply not help. And then the year kind of went on and I sort of held it together, but 
I was I loved dancing that was like gave me the biggest happiness at school and I got told I could no longer dance anymore and all the things which I really enjoyed doing started to get taken away from me anyway I sort of held it together to my last day of school and I remember being at school and my matron said saying to me you know if you don't on weight I'm going to come down on you like a ton of bricks so of course I didn't want to admit it because I wasn't feeling supported at all I actually was just feeling really punished and I think the other thing, which is important to note, this is a massive sort of biological thing. But when you are physically, you're depriving your brain of food, you physically see yourself as 70% bigger than anybody else sees you, which is quite interesting. So I remember looking in the mirror and my parents were worried and they'd expressed, you know, um, concern. But I remember just not seeing what it was that they would see. Then when I on holiday with a friend and I love her to pieces and we went to a lovely island in Greece. But my God, was it the worst holiday of my life? <laughs> and I was utterly grumpy and I couldn't enjoy any of the ice cream and the pizza pasta and all this kind of garbage. And I was absolutely miserable. And the ironic thing was that I thought by doing all of this, I would then be happy because I would be slim and beautiful. And actually everything that I ever loved just got taken away in front of my eyes. And I remember her mum saying, you know, you should really have some pizza. And it was at that point where I, it wasn't that I just didn't want to have the pizza. It's that I physically couldn't bring myself to eat it. And I'd sort of built all these kind of negative things in my head of like, that's not on the list. Can't be doing that. Can't be doing that. Anyway, got home and I remember just running into my mum's arms and bursting out into tears. And suddenly I was like, mum, I really need your help now. And I think I was kind of felt like I was in a judgment-free zone. I was going to be at home going on my gap year. And that was amazing at that point because for so long being in denial, that's the hardest part. And you don't really know what's going on. Like I genuinely thought that there was nothing wrong. And I think that when that happens at that point, you have this huge realisation and it's then that you can start to get better. So sorry, Susie, did your parents, you know, when you were at school and, you know, when you went on holiday, did they know that you were anorexic? I think they, um, no, they, they were concerned for a long time. And I remember but I remember when I first got sort of what was getting weighed at school and stuff I my mum really trusted me and I said mum nothing's wrong you know it's all this kind of stuff and I, I think she believed me because she felt protective of me and just wanted to look after me and so I think she protected me but yes they were they were concerned for a long time I think they were hugely relieved when I kind of came to them and just said did, did, during that time of of concern did they try and do anything or were they just sort of they did. And I think I, that was the problem, though, is that there was no there's no rule book. There was no kind of guidance or anything. Um, my dad would sort of come and say, why don't you just have some more porridge? <laughs> Make these really dad comments. <laughs> um, and my mum, being quite a, a forceful, strong Scottish lady, it was like, you know, she tried to kind of take control of the situation like she does with everything. And I just having any of it quite frankly because I think despite being quite weak in a position like that I also think if you're strong enough to put yourself in that position you're a pretty strong person so I was sort of back off maybe <laughs> I'm not listening to you can I just ask then on that Susie if if you're in that situation as a parent I do know in certain circumstances sort of taking away something somebody that they love like for you dancing has sometimes worked in the school situations but obviously didn't in your case have a bit more porridge or trying to take control. You know, these are all, I mean, they're very, it strikes me as being a very difficult place to be to offer help. 
particularly the person in question that feel they have a problem. Is there any advice you give for people out there, I guess, uh, in terms of parents or educators, what to do? Honestly, such a good question. I almost wish my mum was here as well. I... Oh, it's so difficult because I think I've offered advice in the past and, and it's it's very much, I mean, you, you use the term anorexia, but actually it's just everybody's own individual relationship. I worked well with being allowed a bit more independence because it then gave me the control. And I think although it took a bit longer to get better, it did work well. I think the one thing is to do is start with love. I know it's frustrating. And honestly, mum had points where she really couldn't cope anymore. And, you know, I mean, it put a massive dent in the family for about six months. But I think try your best to, to just give them off your child so much love. And as a parent as well, read as well. There's a lot of really interesting books out there which can be really beneficial. I read this book called An Apple a Day, which was really helpful. It strikes me one of the things you said about love is, I mean, in any form of addiction or something along those lines, people always say you love the person, but you hate the problem. Your negative energy goes towards the, the problem they're facing, but you love that person. Um, that's probably the number one thing you can say to any parent with a child, I guess. In this, yeah, that that's the thing, and it's and it's frustrating because both come quite collided, um, sort of, and that's really hard to kind of detangle. But I think, and then some people, I have friends whose parents really restricted them from doing anything and implemented a quite strict like food regime and all that kind of stuff. And that really helped them because the truth is, is that when you're so thin, you need food to be able to start to think. It's such a vicious circle because the one thing you don't want to do is eat, but that's the one thing you need to be able to see things more clearly to know that you have to get better. And the funny thing is that when I started putting on weight, it sucked for a couple of days. And then I could see that I wasn't fat because my brain was actually starting to see properly. It wasn't like I was looking those mirrors at the circus anymore. When you threw yourself into your mum's arms after the um, the Greece holiday, what sort of happened next? So you made this admission to your mum that you really weren't well and you wanted help. Yeah, what happened next? So I then we sat down and we started to think about therapists and all this kind of stuff. And I think actually this is the point where it gets really tricky is that I wanted to get better, but I just wanted it to happen. I did not want to put the work in. <laughs> And we'd argue about the therapist or whoever it might be. But that was really helpful. And I saw, I think as well, the other thing to note with this is that I saw like four different therapists until I found someone that I really get on with. And I think it is worth taking the time because ultimately it's like making a friend, you know, and you have to really trust the person that you're seeing. So I then also saw two nutritionists and one that said to me in a very old fashioned way, eat lots of porridge, eat lots of oat cakes and put butter on everything. And I thought, actually, sod off. I don't want to do that. Like, I'm a girl in the 21st century. All my other friends are starting to experiment with yummy and exciting things. I do not want to eat like things that mum and dad were eating 10 years ago. So I found a nutritionist and she was called Rhiannon Lambert. And she honestly changed my life. I went to see her. She was young, 28. And the first thing she said to me is, I promise I'm not going to make you fat. And together, we're really going to enjoy food and we'll work about it, work around this together. And my biggest fear was being made fat. And for her to then tell me that that is, was exactly what she wasn't going to do. I completely trusted, trusted her. And she said, we make every decision together. And I then, I, it wasn't this kind of force of having to do something. It was like, yeah, I, we can do this together. We can get involved. So I think that, I think it's really important to have a nutritionist and 
a therapist in place, but also it might just take a bit of time to figure out who's the best fit. And then I was lucky. I I was quite headstrong. And I think I just had a day. I started to get really bored of the whole situation. I got invited to my best friend's 18th birthday party. And I had to ring up his mum and ask what we were having for supper, chili con carne or whatever it might be. And the idea of eating chili con carne put me off from going to this party. And I just, at that point, I was like, oh my God, I can't even see my friends. This sucks. And I think that that really gave me the boost to kind of start to, to really put the groundwork in. And I was quite strict with my parents as well. I said, you know, never comment on anything about what I look like and all that. I think that's actually a really amazing tool is when, if they're like siblings and all this kind of stuff, is it's just really good to take away any emphasis on looks. It's way more important. If you want to compliment someone, compliment their personality or whatever it might be. And I found that people commenting on things like, oh, you're looking a bit better, actually was really tough and sent me more the other way. Because as much as I wanted to get better, I just didn't really want to. That's a really interesting point. So don't focus on physical appearance. And if somebody's in the throes of it, any comment on the physical appearance is unhelpful. Even if you think it's a positive comment or you think it's something the other person will want to hear, you don't actually know that that's the case. Yeah. And I think it's it's so bizarre because I remember people would tell me that I looked well and healthy. And by that, I felt like I was losing to anorexia and it was it's it's a very weird psychological thing but I I definitely found it easier when no like point of appearance was ever made or if I was to suddenly I would go through these bursts of just eating so much because obviously I was starving and it was great if nobody just commented on that they just left left me to do it and you know and sort of silently happy I suppose I could see my mum smiling in the corner (laughs) but I think that that that's really helpful is to try and you know, encourage, but not really comment. Can I ask if you used a lot of phrases around the idea of control freak, people pleaser, high achiever? It's a bit of a stereotype, isn't it? That it's often head girls and girls who are, you know, very capable, very popular, who often get sucked into this problem. Is that been something you've noticed? And if so, what is it about those qualities that, that lead to that, do you think? Yeah, I mean, it's definitely something. And, and I've had multiple friends now who have experienced similar thing. And I, I really think there's just such a pressure on our society and our generation to be to be perfect. And it's completely like non-existent. You know, no one's perfect, you know. I don't know. And I, I maybe it comes from lack of validation and, and just self-confidence. I, it's, it's a weird one. I don't know. But I'm definitely like that quite naturally as a person. But I also think that then they're probably quite strong people who will develop illnesses like this and because they're strong they can get out of it and they will and I think it's having faith in that situation so as much as it can be you know the worst thing ever I think it's those personality traits which can really help you flip things on the other side as well. And and where are you now Susie are you um 100% through it? I really good question I would never I think it for me anyway I can't speak on behalf of other people but I don't really believe in using the phrase recovered I am probably I probably eat healthier than I would have done if this hadn't happened but I absolutely love food it makes me so happy I don't avoid social plans on the basis that I don't know what's coming up you know I can sort of feel that I put on a bit of weight eat bars of chocolate and feel a bit oh so you would be entirely happy eating a chili con carne yeah absolutely (laughs) 
which is so nice. And if you'd asked me a couple of years ago, there's no way I would have could have said yes. No. And the other thing is that every time there are slip ups and moments of anxiety, and it might be that if I feel anxious and something, if I say I fall out with a friend, then it's kind of a natural instinct to go back to food. And that has happened over the years, but it is like a yellow brick road. And every time you come back around, you know the road so much better. You know what it is that you need to do. You become much more aware. And I think as well, when you're feeling strong, talking to your friends about it. And because when you're feeling weak, you won't want their help. When you're feeling strong and happy, I think it's important to say things like, you know, if I were to ever slip up again, please make me aware because I might not be aware. And I luckily have some amazing friends who just say So that's that notion of like, is it things where you feel out of control? Are they the moments when the blips could happen? When you feel like, like you said, you've been out with a friend, that's hard to put right. And that's the sort of mechanism by which you can control something. Is that the kind of what's the thought process? You've nailed it. Honestly, you know, I wish my dad got on cotton on concept as easily as you just did. Yeah, that's exactly it. I think, you know, we can all have things like, that affect us and and I think anxiety is also that's like I get really bad anxiety and it's when something externally happens like falling out with a friend or maybe a problem at work or whatever and I can't control that situation so naturally it sort of resorts back to food yeah and it's funny it's annoying because then everything else starts to propel whereas when you're happy you pretty much are happy in every medium and it's really quite nice but I think the other thing as well is that I think it's been really useful having a couple of different projects or I think it's really good to just have something, whether it be collecting stamps or I don't know, but something that makes you happy, which isn't related to life in any way. Because then when something in life can upset you a bit or cause you anxiety, you have other things to turn to. And I found that really helped me. I mean, it's interesting that through your story, one of the other things I pick out is really primarily your recovery starts 100% with you. Yeah. More than anything, it's that coming to, to terms with your, your own denial, I guess. A lot of the words that I'm hearing are kind of this idea of co-ownership, you know, wanting to have some control, wanting to be the, the instigator in terms of this. You said several times that this, the qualities that got you in are the qualities that have got you out, really, haven't they? So, I mean, for parents, sometimes I guess you just have to watch on until that person is ready and just be super patient and hopeful and not wish the worst for them but sometimes people have to get quite low before they can turn it around and get better yeah yeah exactly and I think that that's I can't even imagine what it's like sitting on the other side of the fence like I I remembered you know dad coming into my room and just looking at me and crying and feeling so hopeless and it's so easy for me to say here and offer advice and actually I don't know I mean it can't I can't imagine anything worse but I think patience is a virtue in the situation. And yeah, it does. It has to come from within, like with anything, with addiction. You know, it has to be you who decides to stop drinking or smoking or whatever it might be. And then it's about having the kind of the support and the blankets and the tool around you to really help you get there and catch you again when you might fall. Could you just say a bit more? I'm fascinated by this whole idea of how, you know, neurologically your brain changes. It sounds like to your emotional moods change throughout it all. What's kind of happening there? Because it's helpful for parents to be aware of that. But effectively, it's it's so annoying. But what it what it does is obviously when you stop eating, it starts to so all the input of like food. What it does is it produces hair on your body. It gives you hormones. It gives you energy. It gives you the ability to walk and exercise and all that kind of thing. And as soon as you take food out, those start to come out again in in sort of um, reverse. 
So I lost my period first and then my hair started to fall out and then my mood really dropped and then it kind of all worked backwards. So that's the, the poisonous thing. And then of course, you because you can't do anything properly, really, you start to see things a bit warped. And I think that's really the toughest point. It's, and so annoyingly, you've got to get, somehow you've got to get food in that person because then they'll start to see what's going on. Yeah, and I guess there's, there's moderate and extreme ways of doing it, aren't there? And yeah. You know, it, it is a disease that, that kills, isn't it? I think it's probably good to describe it as a disease in that sense, isn't it? Yeah, and I, I think as well, like you just said, there's moderate and extreme ways. And that person is not, if you then say to them, they've gone through one day of, I don't know, whatever it is, they might have been eating in their kind of anorexic self. And then you turn around to them the next day and say, I'm going to present you with a menu that's got 3000 calories in it. It's just like, there's no way in hell they're going to agree to doing that. Like, and they'll probably relapse. They will tell you to bugger off like I did. <laughs> Small steps, I guess, that kind of Small like. Steps. Yeah. And like incremental. And I think as well, when I first started to put on weight and to get better, I was eating a lot for me, but I was still losing weight. And I think have faith in that point because it's about building those foundation layers. So then if the person is to slip up further down the line, they have something to fall back on. And it took me a long time. You know, I, I remember my mum went to see someone and they said, your daughter might not be recovered for 12 years. And luckily it was it was sooner. But I think it's having faith in those building blocks and making sure that that person is comfortable in that stage before going on to the next. What I'm, what I'm really hearing, Susie, is that, you know, each case is different. And, uh, you know, you may respond to that and somebody else may respond to something totally different. But if you were able to give a, a, a sort of list of do's and don'ts for our parent listeners that would be really helpful uh yeah my god that's a really good question my biggest don'ts are yeah never comment on appearance never tell someone they look well or healthy because that is the last thing they're going to want to hear do's are about trying to create a, an environment where they feel comfortable i think you want to it's important to to acknowledge the situation and to talk about it and then there's a point which will probably become quite evident where it can't it can't become everybody's life and because actually in in a way that that sort of fed me a bit more I kind of thought oh, I've won now I've got all this attention and, and here we go <laughs> so I think it's about really trying to protect yourself and as a parent this is one thing I would say is do something for yourself because I think my mum found it so intoxicating and absorbing and she lost sight of everything else and I think my dad said to her one time, you know, go and take the boys and do something fun with the boys because it's all about Susanna at the moment. For your sanity, that's really helpful. Do as a parent, go online, join networks, talk to people. There are so many people out there who are willing to kind of talk about it. And I think a problem shared is a problem halved so much. And talking to someone who just gets what you're going through can really be so beneficial. I guess the um, it's a bit like people say you can become, you know, parents or spouses or whatever, you can become the addict without the addiction, can't they? Because they exactly. get so absorbed in the other person's fight and battle. And um, as you say, to keep yourself involved and invested but separate is very yeah. important. And to find that otherwise, it's actually pretty healthy, I think, for the other person to see you invested in other things as well so that, that it's not otherwise they begin to feel subconsciously that their whole wellness is important for everybody you know and, and there's so much at stake otherwise yeah no it's exactly like what you said 
And I think that it probably didn't, my whole family started to tiptoe around me. And I don't think that was a good thing. I think things actually got better in a funny way where there was less, when there was less attention on it and kind of, I would slip up, so to speak, like I would just sort of have a couple of biscuits and no one was really noticing or whatever it might've been. And I think as a parent as well, like you, as much as it feels so natural to, and I I know that I'll be talking to lots of mums and dads here who think, oh, she's never been a parent and she won't get it. And I'm sure I won't until I've had a child and I, I know what it's like, but it's not your fault. And there's, that's something I think you have to just accept. And I think a whole amazing part of therapy was understanding kind of why I was there and factors which could have triggered it. But at the end of the day, I was there to get better and to look ahead. And I think as a parent too, as much as it might feel like your fault, it's just not like we live in such a dynamic world and society at the moment. And it's a huge combination of factors and you just, there's no rule book, you know, there's no way you prevented this from happening. Can I ask too about the role social media has played? Because there's a very strong correlation between particularly young girls' well-being and the advent of social media. Was that a part of your story or, you know, or do you think it played a part? Really, no, really good question. I often sort of think now when people ask me that, I go, no, I wasn't really that into the whole look side of thing. It was more the control. But having now now looking back I do remember following Victoria's Secret models and all these kind of people and also I think the excuse my French but the important thing to remember is that social media is pretty much bullshit and anything that your children might be seeing is probably just a big fat fib and I sort of would look at these girls and think oh god you know they've got amazing figures they're slow so slim but they eat burgers all the time which of course is crap like (laughs) there's just no way it's when you become smart enough to notice that. But one thing as a parent, if there's any way you can do it, is restrict like time on social media. It's this self-comparison, which we do when we're feeling low. And actually, you just don't need to see any of what's going on with other people. Like you just focus on yourself. Well, that's been absolutely amazing. Thank you so much for talking to us, Susie. And thank you for your honesty and for sharing your story. And wish you every success going forward in that. It's brilliant. Yeah. No, you, you, you're, you are inspirational, Susie. Really, really thank you for your openness. And, uh, you know, I think it will move and touch many people, as you have the potential to do. Oh, well, I hope so. Brilliant. Thank you very much. listening to Talking Teenagers. Music has been by Rue Paynes. Editing by George Purvis and James Certin. For more information about I Can and I Am Charity, who provide presentations and resources and help build self-confidence in young people, visit their website at icaniam.com. Be your soul.